Well, I want you to turn with me to John's Gospel, one verse, chapter 15 and verse 13. This verse has been quoted many, many times. I read it as the title of a book. I came up through the Vietnam era. So did Brother Hobbs. Uh, Brother Couch, who used to be with us, served in Vietnam. I have my wife's uncle. Both of her uncles served in Vietnam. One of them was a helicopter pilot, shot down behind enemy lines, and then he came back, came through that because of intercessory prayer. He came back to the States finally, and uh, he then instructed uh, helicopter pilots that were going to be stationed in Vietnam. He went from there to Korea and, uh, and was a helicopter pilot in Korea. But I read a book written by a Vietnam veteran because I had all of these people that, that I knew had had that experience, and the name of the book was No Greater Love. And it was about a man who had survived Vietnam, but many of his friends did not survive that experience. They died. 60,000 men died during the Vietnam conflict. 60,000 men died. 150,000 were wounded. And not only the physical wounds that you see in veterans, but they were wounded in their heart of hearts. When I saw the title of a book about the Vietnam experience from a Vietnam veteran called No Greater Love, there were portions of that book where somebody would either risk their life or give their life for a fellow soldier, and hence the title, No Greater Love. And Jesus said it first, didn't he? As far as the gospel is concerned, in John 15 and verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than this. The Bible said God commendeth his love to us in 1 John, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in the Christian community, that's a given. Jesus died for me. But when you first encountered that kind of love, it had an impact on you. You were not, it wasn't just a given. It wasn't just something that was part of your Christian faith and your Christian religion. It was a personal reality to you. And we used to sing it, didn't we? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would say, not my will thine for? The answer, I may never know why he ever loved me so, that to the cross he would go, for who am I? And as long as we had that impact and his love had that kind of force in our life, the first love in us was kindled for him. The Bible said that we love him. Well, there's a commandment, thou shalt love the Lord with all thine heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. It's the first and great commandment, and God deserves that kind of love. But even though he commands it, he doesn't expect us to just love him without stimulating that love for him in us. And the Bible said that we love him because he first loved us. Can you say amen? In other words, we love him back for loving us. We love him back for loving us. 
And when we start loving him back for loving us, it's called the first love, the sweetheart love. We're getting ready to celebrate 55 years, and I don't want to get too mushy, but I'm a little mushy today. Next week, next Friday, I think, is the 18th of May. On the 18th of May, 55 years ago next Friday, we stood in her grandmother's backyard, and uh, Brother Pastor Rayburn, we were not Christian. She or I were not Christian, but my dad knew a preacher, and uh, so he got the preacher to come and, and uh, perform the ceremony. And to this day, I'm very glad that we had a preacher. I was looking through my sermon outlines, and uh, I found a ceremony where the two of you rededicated your marriage vows, rededicated yourself to each other. Amen. And you renewed your vows, and I think that was a, a good thing. I talked to my wife about renewing our vows, and she said, I love you. I don't need to. <laughs> we got this. Can you say amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. After this long, she said, yeah, when, you, when you've been married 55 years, you either got it or you don't got it. I think we got it. Everybody say they got it. Hallelujah. We got it. And the only reason we have it is because of the love of God in our life, the mercy of God, the grace of God. Keeping that first love rekindled. We love him because he first loved us because greater love than this hath no man than a man would lay down his life for his friends. And the Bible calls us friends. That's an amazing thing. I, the first friendship relationship with God that I read in the Old Covenant was Abraham, who was called a friend of God. But Jesus said something to the New Testament believers. He said, I have not called you. Uh, I, I, I haven't called you servants. Even though we are servants of the Lord, he said, I your relationship to me is not one of a servant, even though I want you to serve me. But your relationship to me is beyond that. It's more intimate. It's more personal. You're not just a bond slave to me out of responsibility. I want you to serve me because you love me for loving you. I just want you to love me back for loving you. The greatest thing we can do to, to show gratitude to God for what he's given us in Christ and what Jesus gave us on the cross is to love him back for loving us. And to love him back the way he loved us. With everything we are. And everything we have. But you can't fall in love with him unless you begin to go right back to the cross where it all began. To the church at Ephesus, Jesus said, you check out apostles and you found them to be liars. You don't just take anything you check everything out you are people of the scripture you're people of the word there's persecution from the world in your generation and you are bearing up under those tribulations and you are standing your ground and you are keeping the faith and they're feeling real good about themselves and then he says but i have somewhat against you and suddenly their countenance begins to fall what could he possibly he just commended us for all of these things that we are. And he said, but there's something missing. And I want to tell you about the something missing today. And in the book of Revelation, to the church of Ephesus, the first church of the seven churches of Asia, they lay in a semicircle, if you saw them on a map. 
And there's something about this particular church that I believe we need to get a hold of here on Mother's Day. When we're talking about the love of God and the love of a mother for her children. And the way we should be loving our mothers and the way we should be loving our God back for loving us the way he loved us. I want to say something real quick. Make no mistake about it. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus to that cross. They couldn't. Peter pulled a sword when they came to arrest Jesus, and he swung it, and he missed the man's head, and he cut off his ear. And Jesus reached us. First, he said, put your sword up. I don't need you to defend me. If I wanted to be defended, I would call the armies of heaven. In the Old Testament, he's called the Lord of hosts. You know what that means in the Hebrew? The commander in chief of heaven's armies. All of the myriads of warrior angels are under Christ's command. Everybody say under Christ's command. That's why he's the Lord of hosts. And that's why he's the Lord of lords. And that's why he is the king of kings. I could have called angelic armies to deliver me. I don't need flesh and blood. You see, he was destined to go to the cross. And he was determined to go to the cross. The Bible said when he came out of the garden experience, when he, 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 in his determination to save you and me and everyone else that would come to him by faith, the Bible said that he set his face like a flint. In other words, there was absolutely nothing or no one that could cause him not to fulfill his destiny. He didn't come to lie in a cradle and evoke sentimental feelings in our hearts. The pretty, innocent, pure baby. I'm going to tell you something. That pure baby couldn't save anybody. If Jesus didn't go to the cross without the shedding of blood, there is what? No sacrifice for sin. That's why when Christmas comes and I hear the Old Testament prophecy sung in a song, unto us a child is given. Unto us a son. This shall be a sign to you. Unto us a son is what is given. And in that word given is not given to lie in a manger, but sent here to die in their place on the cross. A father watched his son, who did no sin at all, agonize on the cross. Who could have come down. He, his, listen, Jesus made a choice to go to the cross. He made it in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Not my will, but thine be done. If there's any other way to do what? To save fallen man. Any other way. Let this cup pass from me. By the way, when you were talking about the cup, all I can see is the agony and the pain. Something was worse than that to this sinless, holy Son of God. When you see it depicted somewhere, the cross, and Jesus on the cross, my grandmother had a big, and everything she had got so chipped, we couldn't save any of it. Everything was chipped up. I don't know how it got all chipped, but she had a big cross, Jesus on the cross, out of, out, you know, the figure of Jesus on the cross. And there was a dot in both hands. And there was a dot of red on his feet. And there was a little slash here 
of red to depict the blood that ran from the nails and the spear in his side. It in no way represented what was really happening to Jesus. It's, there's no way. The Bible said prophetically of him, his visage was marred more than any man's or beyond imagination. That means you can't conceive. And you know, it didn't start when they nailed him to the cross. It started when Pilate wanted to satisfy their lust for blood to see him suffer when he took hardened soldiers that had, when they fought then, it was up close and personal. When they cut somebody, you could smell the blood. You could get splashed with the blood. There is a song about the great speckled bird. It's, a, I think, an old bluegrass song about the great speckled bird. And you know why the bird was speckled? It was speckled because it had just killed its prey. The hawk had just killed its prey. And the blood squirted and speckled the bird. Listen to me carefully today. That what he went through is beyond anything that we could imagine. Psalm 22 begins to depict the very things that he went through and said, My tongue cleaves to the roof of my mouth. He was dehydrated. He was thirsty. He cried from the cross, I thirst. And so what they did, if you can call this mercy, they would take a sponge with vinegar and gall, and they would dip it in the vinegar and gall, put it on the end of a stick and hold it up to the mouth of the suffering, dying person so that they could bite that squeeze down on the sponge, and out of that sponge would come some moisture into their mouth. And Jesus, who just cried, I thirst, rejected the opportunity to moisten his lips. You know why he did that? Because if anything took away from the pain, the agony, and the suffering of God's wrath, then the sin debt would be incomplete. He couldn't pay 99% of it and save you and me. He had to pay 100% of our sin debt. And the Bible said something that's it's a paradox and it's hard to understand. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now, I'm a daddy. I have, when I just chastened my children, it never pleased me to harm them in any way. And the chastening wasn't to harm them or hurt them. It was to help them and instruct them. If your kid is playing in the, in the street and you go out and give him a whack on his fanny, uh, it's to keep the truck from running over him. It's not because you're trying to harm your child or you're angry. Amen? It pleased the father to what? To bruise him. Why? Because it pleased the Father to save you and me. It pleased the Father that Jesus was obedient even unto the cross. That's why he's so highly exalted today. The Bible said, though he thought it not robbery, to be equal, to be called equal with God. Well, he was God. The Bible said in First John, so being equal with God, it was no big deal. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. He didn't. He took on himself the form of a servant. 
and humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. He humbled himself. If he hadn't have humbled himself, he would have called those angels. If he hadn't have loved us enough to allow them to take him and do what they did to him and put him on the cross. Amen. There would have been no sin debt paid. There would be no way that we could save ourselves. The sacrificial system had to be carried out. And even in the old covenant, when they sacrificed the animals and the blood was shed, it, the only reason God accepted it permissively was based on Jesus to come. He was not an afterthought after the fall. He didn't, he, God didn't just come up with a scheme when the New Testament dawned. Do you know what? The Bible said Jesus was the Lamb in the heart of God, in the plan of God. He was the Lamb that was slain, not just when He went to the cross and died on the cross, but when the foundation of the world was laid. You know why? Because God said, I'm going to make man in our image. And He said it to Jesus because He said, let us make man in our image. And John's Gospel said of Jesus, there was nothing made that He didn't make. Hallelujah. He's the second person of the Godhead. He's not just a man anointed. He was God incarnate. God in flesh. He was God in the womb of Mary. He was God on the cross. To wit, God was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. He never stopped being God. He didn't need to be born again in hell. And that's a doctrine out there. And it's a bad doctrine. And it started... With hyper faith. Once you get on the slippery slope of deception. It just takes you deeper and deeper. And it gets crazier and crazier. But it started with a faith movement. But it ended up going into absolute heresy and error. And charismatic and Pentecostals that didn't show up for Bible study. Just went to church to shout. Fall for all of it. Because we don't know the word of God. And we need to know the Word of God. And some of you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the Word of God. So if you're looking for a preacher to parrot your favorite preacher, you're in the wrong church this morning. Because I'm not going to parrot anybody. I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says without apology. I will look you in the eye when I say it. You may not want to make eye contact with me. But that's okay. I give an account for your soul. And I'm not going to tell you anything less than the truth. The truth doesn't change with the culture. The truth doesn't change with the culture in the world. The truth doesn't change with the culture in the church. The truth doesn't change with trends. <laughs> you don't go to the Bible to see what's trending. You go to the Bible to see what's true. Can you say amen? And if you continue in His Word, you'll know the truth. Not just intellectually, but experientially and personally. And when it happens like that, the truth will what? It'll make you free. Hallelujah. Walked into the break room. Somebody's trying to nail somebody by telling them they're ugly. Or whatever, their hair's ugly. And they want me to verify it biblically. And they say, Hey, Rev! Didn't the Bible say the truth will make you free? I said, no. 
you can't just pull scripture out of context to make it say what you want it to say, to fit what you want it to be. God's word is to change you. It's to change us. <laughs> I said, no. They looked at me like, well, I've heard that. I've heard that. Of course you heard it. It's partially true, but it's not perfectly true. It's not completely true. John chapter 8, 30 and 31 says this, if you continue. That's what I quoted. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth. And, and the truth will make you free. If you continue in my word. You're going to know it experientially. If you apply my word, you get in the word and get the word in you. Amen. The truth is going to make you free. Can you say amen? It don't just make you free because it's true. It makes you free because you receive it and you apply it to your life experience. And when that happens, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Jesus suffered like no one has ever suffered, but he never ceased to be God. The preacher you were telling me about that was your pastor at one time, Brother Larkin, he came to our service one Sunday morning. He sat about where you're sitting, I remember. And I was talking about Jesus never being anything but God. He was God in the cradle. He was God on the cross. He's God in the amen corner. He's God all over me. Praise God. Like the old camp meeting song. He never ceased being God. He didn't need to be saved. He didn't need to take any further punishment. Because he on the cross said. His last breath. It. And I'm going to say it in the actual Aramaic. But it means it. Is finished. It was one word in the Aramaic. And I can't pronounce it perfectly, but I'm going to say it the way it's hyphen, hyphen, hyphenated and say it. Tetaleste. Tetaleste. It is accomplished. It. What was it? What he came here to do. And that is to go to the cross. And become the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The sacrifice, the revelation of Jesus coming to be a sacrifice. John the Baptist saw it and he understood it. And not only that, but one of the wise men understood it. Because they brought him gold. They brought him frankincense. But one of them brought him myrrh. And myrrh is what they used when they treated the body for burial. And it's an amazing thing. You know what it would be like? Going to a baby shower and giving the mother a free coffin and funeral ticket. Here, here is, here, this is, this is a prepaid funeral and here's a prepaid coffin for your child. They knew. One of them knew he came here. To go there. To die there. He came to suffer. He came to die. And because he was obedient even unto death. Listen to this. Though he thought it not robbery to be called what? What he was indeed. Equal with God. He took on himself the form of a servant. But listen to me. When he comes back again. If you're looking. 
for that Jesus that let them do that to him. You've got the wrong Jesus in mind. He's not coming back to be beat up again. He's not coming back to go to a cross. He's been there and done that. He's not coming back to see, uh, to, to just be that, that, that person who never opened his mouth as a lamb dumb before his shears. He's coming back saying plenty. Can you say amen? Bible said when he comes back, there's a sword going out of his mouth. Not a literal sword. You know what the Bible calls the Word of God? The sword of the Spirit. Part of our spiritual armor is our confession of faith. The sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The Word of Almighty God. Hold fast your profession of faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. Hallelujah. God watches over His what? His Word to perform it. Hath He not said it, and will He not do it? Listen very carefully. I don't want you to miss this. He humbled himself and took on himself the form of a servant and was obedient even unto the death of the cross. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that is named of things in heaven, things in earth, and beneath the earth. There's not an angel in heaven that doubts who he is Hallelujah, and doesn't see him as king and Lord. There's not a devil in hell beneath the earth that doesn't believe. When he encountered demons and devils, they said, we know who you are. It's time the church found out who he is. Angels know who he is. Devils know who he is. I'm not convinced that the average Christian has a clue. They think he's that guy they saw uh, them hanging on the cross. I preached one Easter morning about getting beyond the cross, not stopping with the cross. It didn't stop there. It really set it all in motion. Hallelujah. Jesus didn't die and stay dead. He rose on the third day. And the Bible said through that cross where he looked so weak and helpless and hapless, amen, through that very cross, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men, triumphing over the enemy in it, the cross. Can you say, man? That's why the preaching of the cross is to those that perish foolishness. But everyone who has been saved today know what that means to you. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes on Christ. Can you say, man? Hallelujah. 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 That's why all of these, see, here's the thing that the, the world does and the church, they just had a, a mass in a church that has masses. And it's not just Catholicism, but there's Episcopal masses. There's different churches that have what they call a mass. And they had a mass, and it was based on it this week in the news. This is incredible. What, what is that lady? It's, it's one of those pop singers, not Rihanna. It's... it's they had a mass based on a pop singer. Isn't that incredible? To try to blend a pop singer that came from nothing became something. And bait a, a mass around a pop singer. That's in the news this weekend. It's a church in California. 
I mean, well, it's California. Everybody says California. If it was only California, I mean, that's the granola snake. I want, I want, we won't even go there. We won't, we, we won't even go there. Berkeley, California, the culture is crazy. It's crazy out there. 9-11, when the, when the patriotism came at an all-time high in America because 3,000 people were killed, just like that, their lives snuffed out by terrorists. There was a turning, seemed like, to God for a season. Billy Graham actually went to the White House and spoke to the congressmen and senators, and he read from Psalm 46, which normally he would read from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. No, he said, God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is a very present help in the time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the mountains be cast down into the midst of the sea. Hallelujah. That's what America needed to hear. We need God. We need Him like we've never needed Him. And we, this was a wake-up call of just how desperately we needed Him. A mass around a pop singer. It's amazing what is happening in the culture in the world. But this is a church when the world culture begins to be embraced by the church, then we've got a serious problem. Boats are designed to go in the water. That's why it's a ship. That's why it's a boat. But if you start getting water in the boat, you better start bailing it out. You better turn the pumps on to get it out or it's going to sink and somebody's going to drown. The church is designed to be a witness to the world and live within the world. And here's what Jesus prayed for. Father, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Keep them from being overcome by the evil one. Can you say amen? As bad as I want to go home, I know I'm in the kingdom for a time. Such as this. As horrible as this old world is. I'm glad I'm a Christian today. I'm glad I have a hope. I'm glad I'm not following the blind who are leading the blind. I'm glad that the world hasn't crept into my heart. Amen. It's going to be easy to say goodbye to this old fallen world when the time comes. Amen. My heart cry is Maranatha. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Can you say amen? I want him to come back. I can't wait for him to get back. And to them that watch, he shall appear the second time without sin unto glory. In other words, he won't be coming to judge sin. That's the second coming. The rapture is the secret coming. And it's got to be very, very, very near. Hallelujah. I'm glad to be loved like that. Jesus told the church at Ephesus, He said, I have something against you. Doctrinally pure, persecuted, but not destroyed. You're standing up under tests and temptations and persecutions, and I commend you for all of these things. But I have somewhat against you. How many know what that was? Somebody just blurted out. Say it again. You have what? 
Now let me tell you how important that is. Without the first love, there's no true devotion. There's never going to be true devotion without the first love. And without true devotion, you're never going to be a disciple of Jesus. Never. Because you can't qualify with the first prerequisite for that. If any man come and follow me, let him what? Indulge himself. Get rich. Live in opulence. Live without any, any problems or any pressures or any persecutions. Rise to the top of the heap. That calling card is what is bringing many people to churches throughout America. And that's why missionaries who come here from other countries that are laying down their life for the gospel, you have to be that devoted to serve God in some of those countries. I just made a live television broadcast that went into Pakistan first, and then I made another one that ministered to pastors in Africa all the way from Nairobi in South Africa up into North Africa. And there's about 308 people have come and downloaded that. And, and most of the people on the All Pro Pastors site are people with names I can't hardly pronounce because it's North African. They're under the gun. That's where the terrorists are. To be a Christian there, you have to put your life on the line to confess Jesus. And they're putting their life on the line. Because when the first love is burning... It brings that kind of devotion. The Bible said, Now is the accuser of our brethren cast down that accused them before God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus did all the work. He took all the pain. He did all the sacrifice. I got my free ticket to heaven. I'm a victorious overcomer. No, you're not. That's not all that Scripture said. By the blood of the Lamb and the Word of their testimony. What is the word of your testimony? I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Devil can't touch me. You're wrong. That's not your testimony. Your testimony has to relate to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. What the blood has accomplished in your behalf. In fact, your testimony has to be a pleading of the blood of Jesus. And your testimony has to be a proclaiming of the blood of Jesus. Because every time you drink that cup of communion, you show, S-H-E-W, not S-H-O-W. And show means to publicly proclaim His death till He come. And, you mean we're not done? You mean we're not done? Hold fast your profession of faith without wavering, for He is faithful. That promise, hold fast your confession of faith. And you know what confession means? Profession, it says in the King James, it's confession in the Greek. And it means exactly to say the same thing as another. Sometimes I don't feel victorious, but I am. Sometimes I don't feel like an overcomer, but I am. And there's a place in faith when you quit saying what you feel about yourself and about your circumstance, you begin to say what he has said. Can you say, man? Oh, you didn't hear me. We got one hand clap, one patty cake, and I'd like to get everybody on board. If you're not a Christian, it's okay. You don't have to clap for anything. Amen. But if you are a Christian, you got something to praise God for today. Because God says you're an overcomer. Oh, I didn't... You... 
You got me going, you clapping like that. Amen. Let me hurry. Let me hurry. Ephesians, don't clap like that if you don't want to stay here any longer. Just, just sit there like a bump on the log. Amen. But, but if you get into this thing with me, God wants to get in it with you. Hallelujah. What do you mean I have overcome? Let's quote the scripture correctly today. Would you like to get into some truth today that will set you free? Hallelujah. Get in it with me. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and the rulers, spiritual wickedness in high places and the rulers of the darkness of this world. Wherefore, take ye the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, having done all, stand. Having done all. Having done all. Past tense. What is the done and what is the all? The done and the all is what He did at the cross. The actual Greek says, having over... Having... You don't fight this battle to see if you can win. You fight this battle because it's already been won in your behalf at the cross. Satan has been defeated at the cross. You go out not to try to see if you can overcome him. You go out to demonstrate a victory that is already won. Can you say amen? Brother Hobbs, we used to get into this stuff. We used to have a victory. We used to didn't have, we were not like the world. We didn't think like them. We didn't act like them because we were not of this world and we knew it. Hallelujah. Having done as if you've got to do something in and of yourself. No, you've got to declare what's done. Hallelujah. Yes, I have to face him. Yes, I have to fight him. But I fight him as more than a conqueror, not to see where I can see if I can on a scale of one to ten where where I can be where I can end up in my victories. No, no friend of mine. Thanks be unto God. First Corinthians fifteen, fifty seven and fifty eight. Thanks be unto God, which what? Gives us the victory. Through Jesus Christ. Therefore, my de- because you got it, because it's yours to demonstrate and declare. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For your labor. Not in vain. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Can you say, man? I'm going to tell you something. The devil has counted me out, but I'm not done yet. If I was done, this anointing wouldn't be here. If I was done, God's power wouldn't be coming on me. There's something to be said. There's something to be done. I'm old school and proud of it. You know why I'm old school? Because there ain't no new school. Can you say man? Hallelujah. God's word is ancient, but it's relevant. Hallelujah. And it is eternal. And we need it now more than any other generation has ever needed it. Because it's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our pathway. And He has declared victory over your enemy and mine. Hallelujah. And we need to say what He has said. Let me show you how this works. And you don't even have to be a theologian. 
You don't have to know every scripture exactly. You just have to know the essence of it and declare it. Hebrews 13.5. Here's how this works. Everybody say the same thing as another. Your confession of faith is to say what God has said. Not what you feel. Not what you see. Not what your circumstance may dictate. Not what the prognosis is. But what God has to say. Hebrews 13.5. Listen to it. He hath said. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That we might boldly say. He said. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You don't have to pronounce that verbatim. You have to know that. So that you can declare it as truth. And know the word of God is backing it up. But you do not have to say it verbatim. Isn't that good? Have you ever been in a situation you knew what God has said in his word. But you couldn't quote it exactly. Scripture, verse, but you knew it's in the word. Well, speak it. He hath said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That we might boldly say. What? The Lord is my helper. If you believe that, then the Lord is your helper. And he's with you and you know it. So say it. The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man can do unto me. God is with me. Who can be against me? You've got to speak up. We live in dismal defeat. We talk about our pressures and our problems and we whine. We whine and whine and whine. And it's called murmuring in the old covenant. He brought them out of Egypt and they started complaining. He fed them with manna, and they said, Our soul hateth this light bread. And then they said, then they, then they spoke, what, not what, they saw him part the Red Sea. No wonder he was requiring so much faith out of them. They saw him destroy Pharaoh's army. And they still doubted him. They murmured. Your old flesh and mine is, has a preset that needs to be reset. Everybody say a preset that needs to be reset. It's pre-programmed to complain. Oh, come on. Don't get too sanctimonious. You're pre-programmed to complain. And if you don't crucify the flesh, you'll find yourself doing it. Right in the midst of the blessings of the Lord. And they murmured. Can God furnish a table? In the wilderness. They yearned for the flesh pots of Egypt. They wanted to go back into slavery. Just to get some meat. Their belly. Had become their God. They were willing to accept slavery. Just to satisfy. The desires of their flesh. And something occurred. That could have never occurred. They were in an area where there was no predators to keep the poisonous snake population down. How be, you, you know how many snakes came into that area? How many? I can, I can give you something to begin to surmise how many. Not one person 
among the tribes of Israel wasn't bit. They were all snake bit. And there were several, what, how many million came out of Egypt? Almost three million walked out of Egypt. We had three million people snake bit with poisonous snakes. And they came when they murmured. I don't like that preacher. I don't like that church. I don't like it's too cold. It's too doggone hot. We had so many people hot and so many people cold back at the old Holy Church of God. We had a lock on the thermostat. We did. We had it locked. Because the cold people would turn it down and the hot people would turn it up. And we had an usher. You know what we told him? Because he said, I don't know what to do, Brother Venable. Sister so-and-so said she's hot. And Brother so-and-so said he's cold. Well, what do you do? You, you can't get them to quit complaining. I mean, if you're cold, wear a sweater. If you're hot, take off your coat. Undo your tie. But no, 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 no. None of that works. So you know what I told him? Wisdom. I said, go over to the thermostat. Act like you're messing with it. Don't change nothing. Because no matter which way you go with it, you're not going to satisfy everybody. You know what I found out as a pastor and preacher? I'm not going to satisfy everybody. Brother Hobbs, you found it out since you've been. I'm quit trying. Amen. If you're dissatisfied, there's too many other churches. This town is full of churches. You can't throw a rock without hitting a church. Can you say amen? There's just too many others just waiting for you to come in and give it to you your way. Just like the burger company. Burger King. Hold the lettuce. Hold the tomato. Hold the pickle. Hold the bun. And hold the meat. All we want. Hey, they'll be happy to do that. Can you say, man, you're paying for something and you're getting nothing for it. We don't hold the meat. Fact is, if we have to keep anything off of it, it ain't going to be the meat. Because we're in the last days. And Christians eating pablum instead of meat. Strained peas instead of steak are going to be caught up in the great falling away because they have no root in themselves, no true devotion to Christ. And the first prerequisite for following Him is not going to church every Sunday or giving in the offering. It's denying yourself, taking up. And by the way, if you're going to quit murmuring, you're going to have to bring something under subjection that no man can tame. The tongue is an unruly member set on fire of hell itself, full of deadly poison, and no man can tame it. That's why God said, be not drunk with wine, or the New Testament says, with increase, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. And what is the first evidence of being filled? I know it's power initially, but before anything else, what is the first evidence of being filled with the Spirit? 
and they spake in other tongues. He began to, t- oh, and he didn't just take control of the tongue to speak in other tongues, but so we could speak the word of God with this tongue. And let no corrupt, everybody say murmuring, complaining, judging, accusing. Let no corrupt, that that's not of faith, becomes what? Because of where we're going to go without it being faith. We're going to go into those areas where we sin. Amen? 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 Bible said, he that hath no control over his own spirit is like a city without gates whose walls are broken down. It's an indefensible city. The enemy loves it. They got up this morning feeling sad. And they confessed. I don't know why God treats me this way. I got them. They're already beaten before the fight starts. They're already broken. I don't know why God blesses that one. He don't bless me. I don't know. See, He will not only have you not confessing the truth of the Word, but the truth about God. And I've heard complaining. And I realize people keep, and, and it's incessant. My wife and I talked about it on the way to church. I have heard some people complain for years. And they never change their complaints. I complain. But I catch myself. We have conversations, but we catch ourselves. We've caught ourselves and said, no, no. We can't keep going down this road. If we keep, I always use the illustration of possum. We got one in our backyard. My dog killed him three times. (laughs) And he played possum three times. He got up and left after he got done with him. He just grabs him and throws him to the ground and says, I'm dead. (laughs) By the way. Christians go to church and play possum with their flesh. Rather than crucify it, the flesh will say, I'm surrendered. I'm so surrendered to Jesus. I love him so much. I mean, you've got you to gotta find out what the flesh is all about and say, you, you ain't kidding me. Amen. You're going to rise up when they cut me off on traffic. Your hand will want to give the bad finger. You've got to hold it down. Amen. You know what the bad finger is, don't you? Okay, just, you don't have to show me. I just, just, I I take your word for it. You don't have to show me. Oh, that's not the bad finger. You know what I'm talking about. If we don't get our flesh, see, this is all part of crucifying the flesh, and that's why you've got to deny yourself, or you'll never take up your cross, because the cross is there to crucify our flesh. It's not your flesh feeling terrible because someone talked about you at work. I hear people complaining about how they done them at work. There's people leaving jobs and they're out here without work because somebody talked about them. <sighs> Honey, this is the last day. What do you this culture is going to reject you? And when they cast your name out as evil, and tell lies about you, all manner of lies. One time we got a car, a second car. And my wife told somebody, 
I'm so glad we got a second car so I can go running around. And you know where that went? You know where that went? Sister Venable's running around on Brother Venable. Sister Venable, they got a car. She's going to run around on Brother. You'd be amazed what goes around the church other than that that edifies. Am I doing okay? Well, I'm going to do it anyway. You know it. Amen. Let no corrupt communication. Whatsoever is not of faith is going to lead us to what? To sin. We're going to say despite what he said. We're going to say what he didn't say. We're going to say what the devil wants to hear us say. And he's waiting for you to say it. Because he don't know the heart. But he hears the words. Can you say amen? And he can't read your mind. He's a fallen angel. He's not a god. And neither is Thor. But there is a God who knows your heart. And there is a God who knows your mind. And there is a God who says, I want you to say what I have said. And I want you to hold your profession of faith without wavering. Because the one who said it is faithful. So don't say what you feel anymore. Say what I have said. And if it's not of faith, just don't. Let it get out your lips. Amen. You want to crucify the flesh? Friend, just discipline the tongue. And you'll have to crucify the flesh to do it. Because I'm used to saying what I feel instead of what he said. And I've got to press the preset to a reset. And say, today I'm going to do something that God tells me to do every day of my life, but I'm going to start it, and I'm going to quit complaining and start complying with the Word of God. Hallelujah. He loves me. He loves me. Well, if He loves you, why did He let this happen? Shut up. Can you say amen? Just shut up. Your flesh will tell you that. devil don't have to tell it to you. Your weak flesh will say it loud and proud. God brought us out here to die in the wilderness. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And they begin to accuse the God that brought them out of Egypt. And the Bible said, how did they provoke him in the wilderness? Psalm 78. Yea, they turned back and limited the Holy One of Israel. And they limited him by accusing him instead of believing him. And if the devil can get you doing that, you've lost the battle. You've lost the battle. You and I will lose the battle. And I know people that are losing the battle week after week, month after month, year after year. And I know exactly what Paul was worn down by. I was reading about Brother, Brother Bob Green, who recently retired from pastoring, sold his church to a Spanish church. And he said online, something that I don't mind saying here that he would say, he said, between the lawn business and pastoring, it wore me out. It wore me out. And Paul was beginning to wear thin because he talked about all these persecutions and he said, and that 
that comes on me every single day of my life, the care of all the churches. And it's in the context not of his administrative apostleship. It wasn't the responsibility to be the arbitrator with all the stuff that goes on in churches. It was the backsliding already before one generation had passed away. One preacher that's on Moody that has a huge church teaches at Bible conferences whose name escapes me and the name is not important, but he's a pastor of a highly successful church. He's written many books. He has a highly successful ministry. Chuck Swindoll, and he looks out. He said, I look out at my congregation on Sunday morning. He said, people ask me because he looks so serious. You didn't used to look so serious. You didn't used to look so very serious all the time. And he said, you know why I'm so serious with all of these successes, all of these allocates? He said, I'm convinced that many people in my congregation are not ready to die. Not ready to meet Jesus if He should come. Because they say that they are saved. And there is no change. There's got to be a change if you meet Jesus. How can there not be a change if any man is in Christ? He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Everything has become new. He has translated us out of the powers of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. And you say, I can have salvation without a change? Change is not a work of yours to obtain it. Change is a work of God when you receive it. Can you say amen? Woo! I don't know about you, but I was changed. <laughs> And I'm still changing. I'm not there yet, but I'm still on my way. Can you say, man? Did you get anything out of this message today? Praise the Lord. God is good. He's challenged me again to keep on changing. I'm going to read one thing before we leave here today. Hallelujah. Sometimes I feel the comeback I did last Sunday. I felt some of it this Sunday. I've learned to preach over it. When I get real sensitive to the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, I get real sensitive to your spirit. I can't be sensitized to His Spirit, not your spirit. And when you misinterpret something I say, and you get your hackles up, and you think that this is some doctrinal error, He's going somewhere that He ought not go I feel it. I'm not asking you to agree with everything I say. I'm asking you to come and talk to me about what I said. Amen. And not just bow up. Amen. Because one of us is going to have to be the pastor. Amen. And one of us is called to do it. Listen to me carefully. 
If I preach grace, people won't put me in a hyper grace camp. If I preach faith, oh, by the way, but I'm going to keep preaching grace. I'm not in the hyper grace camp. So don't put me where I'm not. You know me. You've heard me preach for how many years? You know that's not me. Brother, remember, we're in a Baptist church. Are you leaning toward the Baptist? No, I'm leaning toward Jesus. Can you say amen? But I thank God that a Baptist is not so Baptist that we won't let a Pentecostal congregation come in here. Amen. And they're not asking us to quit speaking in tongues. And they're not asking us to get into what's in the grass, always in the grass. Can you say amen? Amen. Be careful when you get on, climb up that ladder and start categorizing people. Because you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And that's not how truth operates. There's a lot of truth in some stuff over there that's way off over here. But you hold fast, you prove all things by the word of God. And what do you hold on to? That that is good, that that is true, and that that is right. You know why I'm preaching grace? Because without it, I will fall. Without it, you will fall. And the preachers that didn't bear down on grace, and my pastor didn't, and he fell. And that evangelist didn't, that televangelist, and he fell. I said it last week, without the grace of God, there go I, no matter who it is or what it is. Without that sustaining grace, that is not hyper grace. That's appreciated and appropriating. The force that is necessary to stand when you are weak, it becomes sufficient. Talking in tongues is not enough. Being a Bible scholar is not enough. You need and must have the grace of God. But the grace is what? It is sufficient. And His strength is perfected in weakness. For in your weakness you trust only in Him. And He grants you the sufficiency of His grace. Hallelujah. So I pick up on what's in a church. That's why people think I read their mail. I don't want to get your bills. i got enough of my own. But this spiritual stuff, Holy Ghost searches the deep things of the heart. He knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. And he's on me right now. Amen. I'm not into that name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. But I am into hold fast your profession of faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. You can turn that into something it isn't, but you can't throw it out because it resembles that. Because you're not even saved without your tongue lining up. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the tongue confession is made unto salvation. It's not enough to believe in your heart and not confess him publicly. Can you say amen? If you do not confess me, everybody say the tongue. If you do not confess me before men, I will not confess you before the Father and his angels. But if you confess me as what? As Lord. No man can say he is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. It has to be by a revelation and then a personal realization when you receive Jesus. But when it's a revelation received and a realization in your life, you say he is Lord and it's coming from the heart. God says, absolutely. And he tells all the angels, that one belongs to me. 
Can you say, man, that one is mine. And when Jesus comes, make no mistake, I want to be one of those that ones. How about you? Hallelujah. Confession is made unto salvation. God has no secret agent Christians. One fellow left our church because he was telling me about he and his friend going in a bar and drinking some kind of Budweiser that has lime in it. And it was a particular bar where I think they have owls. It's, all, it's owl themed. Well, it must be owl themed. Right? No? Well, it must be. They call it Hooters. I don't, what are you doing in Hooters drinking beer? He didn't like that. He didn't like that. Part of confession is not just saying you're a Christian. It's exemplifying something. If you're not in there to witness, you have no business in there ogling the women and drinking beer. And he left. And he's somewhere where he's very comfortable this morning, but he can't be comfortable here. Brother Venable, don't you need people? Yeah, but I don't need them at the cost of compromise. Amen? I don't have no business. What? Would you come hear me if you saw me in Hooters drinking a beer and ogling some women? No, you would, would you want to hear me on Sunday morning? Well, I don't want to hear you either. Talking about Jesus. Works both ways. Well, Brother Venable, God can't see through the blood. Yes, He sees everything. And only the blood can cleanse. It's not just to cover up sin. It's to cleanse us from iniquity. No sinless perfection, but perfectly saved. Hallelujah. This is not licensed to sin. Don't put me in that camp. I couldn't live there and I don't live there. And I'd rather see this place completely empty and me retire. And my last breath is to tell the truth than to see a big cathedral full and compromise the truth. Because the reason you're free today is because the truth spoken in love. But the truth has set you free. Hallelujah. And I'm encouraged to preach when there's just a few of us because I'm not just preaching to the choir. There are people receiving and their life has been changed. Hallelujah. And I don't think you're perfect yet, right? No, not not yet. All right. You ain't even there yet and you've been... You're a million miles from it. Maybe more than that. To infinity and beyond. But I want more. I'm hungry for more. God delivered me from the bar scene. God delivered me from that that would lead me into adultery. Thank God I'm free to serve Him. Hallelujah. Thank God the truth is real today. Thank God Jesus loved us that much. And He wants us to do what? To love Him back with the first love burning brightly because the first love will bring a devotion to Jesus. And a devotion to Jesus will bring a disciplined life. And a disciplined life will allow us to put the flesh on the cross so that we can truly follow Him. Hallelujah. No greater love 
in that book, there was, and by the way, in the heat of battle, there's no black people, white people, rich people, poor people, highly educated or lowly people. There's no garbage collector or, or senator's son. In that foxhole, there's brothers. We're in a battle right now. We need to be brethren. We need to quit letting the little things separate us. And we need to pull together and stand together. Hallelujah. My brother here at Fellowship Baptist Church has no problem with me speaking in other tongues. He has no problem with my Pentecostal foundation. I declare it openly and publicly. And they see and sense the anointing. He thought that he asked me to come to his Bible school. And there's another guy sitting there. And he's a, uh, he's a graduate. He's a Pentecostal background guy. But he's a graduate of, is it Fuller Theological Seminary? It's the big one out in Texas. Is it Fuller? It's one of those big, prestigious Baptist seminaries. Dallas Theological Seminary. He graduated with high honors from Dallas. But he still talks in other tongues and believes the gospel of Jesus as it's written. He hasn't become Baptist even though he's went to Bible school at a Baptist seminary. And I haven't become, you know what? They were afraid he was going to become Pentecostal. And they told him, if you keep going and meeting with that Pentecostal preacher, it's going to ruin you. And we've been meeting for eight years. And he isn't ruined yet. I haven't heard him speak in tongues since we've been meeting so far. He may get ruined before it's over. But he's a praying man. He loves the Lord. And we love each other and we lift each other up. Pentecostal brethren hadn't offered me squat. Can I say squat in church? You can say, just don't squat on your spurs. It's a cowboy thing. With your spurs on, I'm sorry. Never squat with your spurs on. Okay, just, it's a cowboy thing. You wouldn't understand. And there's some of you that thought he's going to ruin me because you hear me preaching grace like I do and you think he's pulling me over to the once in the grass, always in the grass. And I feel your spirit. You're wrong. Because you're judging something that you don't know nothing about. But you know something about me. Because you've been around me for how many years? How many years? Too many. No, don't say that. Just tell me how many. we got to quit putting each other in a camp. It's time to circle the wagons. The hour is late. And God's body is not divided. Not his true body. Because his true body is bigger than anybody's denominational persuasion. Or anybody's organizational structure. Nothing wrong with it until it is divisive. And then there's something terribly wrong with it. Can you say man? We cannot compromise the cardinal truths of the faith but we cannot keep pushing each other away when we need a revival in the land can you say man so i'm going to keep preaching in a context where i can reach ministers in pakistan because they need a word of encouragement because they're under the gun and i don't care what sign they got over their door if they are a christian they're my brothers can you say, man, they're my sisters. And I want to lift them up and encourage them in Jesus. And thank God he's opened a door for me to do that. 
and the last wine is better than the first because I never could do that before. Can you say, man, I don't have to become a Baptist. I can be me just like I am. But I can take his hand and say, let's pray for that lady with cancer because there's a waitress whose sister is dying. And guess what? They ask us to pray. And we join hands in the middle of the restaurant and we pray for God's healing power to come together as brothers in Christ. Hallelujah. How good and pleasant this is to God. Hallelujah. How it looks to him. How he loves it. How good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. You talk about the Holy Spirit flowing and getting excited. It's like the oil that ran down Aaron's beard and dripped from his garment can you say man such an anointing on his head it ran down his beard down his clothes and dripped from his garment and the end of that psalm says there will i command the blessing the god that commanded let there be a firmament and there was one is going to command a blessing under those circumstances i want that i want to see revival before i go home I'd like to see revival before Jesus comes. I'd like to see the first love rekindled. I'd like to see a church on fire for God. Somebody wrote something good the other day. Boy, you write something good, I'm going to be on it. I'm going to jump on it because I hear so little of it. Pamela says, somebody said something. What'd they say? I want to hear it. Because, listen, there ain't a lot of good, not a lot of faith. There's a bunch of bad stuff in the Christian community. Say something good, and you got my undivided attention. Somebody that, had, that used to be in our church 30, 40 years ago came to our website, saw part of the video thing somewhere on there, and they said, it's good to know, Brother Venable, that you're still on fire for God. I said, that's good to hear. That's good to hear because there's some people don't care one way or the other. They're looking for the program. They're looking for somebody to get them in, get them out, pat them on the back, and amen, amen, amen. And they're getting just what they want. But they're complaining every single day of their life. Nothing changes. And Paul said, the care of all the churches watching all of this, it's wearing me down. But then he said, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Because why? Because people will not appreciate you. People will not applaud you. People will not have any sense of loyalty to you no matter where you, what you've done in their life or sown in it. But God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love in that you have ministered to the saints and continue to minister. God is going to reward you. So whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. For you shall be rewarded of the Lord Christ. Well, Brother Venable, how did he reward you? Well, I had a stroke and he healed me. Oh, but brother, remember, you didn't get a Bentley? Hey, a man with a Bentley that doesn't have a relationship with God to get healed when he has a stroke, he'll die in the front seat of his Bentley. Or he'll die in the hospital. 
It's not the Bentley that I was looking for. It's the help when I need it from God. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. 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 What else did He do? Amen. He left His anointing on me. The fire of God is still shut up in my bones, brothers. It's still in your bones. You were about to shout a while ago. You know why? Fire. Fire. He said he's going to wrestle this mic out of my hand and show me some fire if I keep preaching like this. He's big enough to do it too. Don't let him fool you. But I'm going to fight him back for it. Because I got fire in me too. Some of you had not had fun at church. You don't know how to take this. Why, why isn't he more serious? Because I've got the joy of Jesus. And I've got the victory. And I have nothing to be down in the mouth about. I didn't come here to complain. I came here to proclaim Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Hallelujah. You can be saved today. You can be healed today. You can be delivered today. Because Jesus hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and He will be forever. Can you say, man, will you stand to your feet? Let's give Him some praise in His house.